Good morning, Zion, and happy Valentine's Day. We're going to uh, try to, we're going to do the service this morning as we did for uh, much of the summer, just an audio track, and I'll be, I'll be brief with the sermon and read the scripture, and it'll just be an opportunity for us to connect together. I'll also make sure and uh, send you a link to, I know John Austin is doing a virtual service with the church in Onega, uh, so if you want to see people, you can have that opportunity this Sunday as well, but good morning and talofa, and let's begin as we always do, and just be present with one another and just settle into wherever you're sitting Allow God to gaze upon you and be present as we begin this worship service together. Let's begin. Amen. I want to begin uh, this morning. We don't really have the uh, the liturgy to follow, um, so I'm just going to begin by talking about the scripture this morning. Uh, the Old Testament reading is from Second Kings. It's a passage that uh, that we remember. Uh, Elijah is coming to the end of of his life and Elisha is following him as God commands him and it's interesting the dynamic between the two Elijah tries to discourage Elisha I don't know if discourage is the right word but the thrust is uh, you know you don't have to do this but Elisha comes and he continues to follow And at the end of the passage, Elijah is taken up to heaven, and Elisha is left to carry on the work. And it's a similar dynamic that we read together in, in Mark 9. Um, and Jesus has just asked his disciples, if you remember in chapter 8 of Mark, who do you say that I am? And Peter has told him, he believes him to be the Messiah. And remember that interesting exchange afterwards when Jesus says, okay, but know the cost that, we have, that I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to face the world and I will be put to death. And remember Peter saying, no, no, we won't let that happen. 
and Jesus rebukes him. And we find our reading this morning in chapter 9 and the famous transfiguration on top of Mount Tabor, and that's what we'll read together this morning. So I'll read in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Listen for the word of God. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became glistening, intensely white, and no fuller on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Let us make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were exceedingly afraid. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man should have risen from the dead. Amen. So if you remember last week, and even the Sundays leading up to last week, we were, we were moving kind of along, along at, a, at a slow pace, revisiting the story of, of Jesus' early ministry. And John the Baptist was crying out in the wilderness, and people and signs were pointing to Jesus, to the teacher. And then as we slowly moved along, Jesus begins to call disciples people who would leave everything to follow. And we read how he spoke more precisely how he was, his presence before those who found themselves in places like the synagogue at Capernaum. And there was this energy, this buzz moving throughout the towns and villages around Galilee. And he began to heal people and feed people, and more importantly, he began to remind people of who they were. He began to liberate people who did not even realize that they'd been imprisoned for their entire lives, and the story was just getting started. And so this week we make, make a jump, an abrupt jump it feels like, to maybe it's just to accommodate the season. This is you know, Ash Wednesday is coming up this week, and we begin our Lenten season. A time when we as believers, when we as followers, we begin, we begin to turn inward. We become introspective, and we become open about our lives, our vulnerabilities, our victories, our failures, and honest inventory of our interior lives. We do it for, for all of Lent. And we are reminded that that initial buzz, that energy, that liberation, it's not simply given or simply agreed to by a world 
Now listen to this, by a world that has a stake in you remaining imprisoned, you remaining afraid, you remaining subservient. This is what Jesus is, in my estimation, trying to convey to his disciples that the world demands a cost. And know this, there is a reason for fear. And we don't want to hear this any more than Peter did. You know, Peter's answer was, you know, no, surely not you, Lord. We won't allow that to happen. And you remember how Jesus responded to Peter. And so our initial reaction is, that, you know, don't tell me I need to come to terms with the world. And not only that, don't tell me that I have to come to terms with my interior life, the nature of all my relationships, the nature of my history, my habits, my fears, my shame, my anger. Don't tell me I have to face it all, to examine it all, to hold it all. I'd rather take a pill. I'd rather remain distracted from all that. I'd rather become obsessed with my work, my need to achieve my position, my image, my success. Can't you hear Peter as Jesus says, we have to come to terms with the demands of this world not by overcoming them, but by facing them, but by embracing them, by holding them. I hope I'm not confusing the issue by comparing the demands of this world, the cost that will be exacted by this world for our decision to follow the living God. I hope I'm not causing confusion by comparing this and speaking about it interchangeably with the demands to face my own self because after all, Jesus drew people to him, to follow him, not because of what he said, but because how he was. His interior was animated solely by the living God. He had done that internal inventory in the desert, and he was living and animated by the living God. This is the presence that drew people at the synagogue at Capernaum. These were the, this is the presence that healed people, that liberated people, that changed them utterly. I was blind, but now I see. So for us, the work is to examine my life, my relationships. It's not that I don't have access to the same presence Jesus had access to and drew from. It's that something's in the way. Something in my interior life is blocking 
me drawing my life, my energy, meaning from the living God. So let's look at my life, my relationships, my history, my habits, my fears, my shame, my anger. That's what Lent's about. And all of it has to be faced without reservation, without holding anything back. We must turn our faces inward. We must turn toward Jerusalem. To stand naked before a world that will and does demand a cost. To turn our faces that way. So it makes sense that Peter in the previous verse, would, you know, the previous chapter rather, would say, No, Lord, we won't allow the world to exact a cost from you. And Jesus rebukes Peter in the most forceful of terms, as if to say, Peter, the way is the way. That's the way we must go. And so we go abruptly over seven chapters, and our story has moved from energy, from buzz to curiosity, promise of victory, to Jesus saying, there's a cost, and I have to go to Jerusalem and face the world to pay that cost. And so the buzz, the victory, the curiosity goes to confusion and mystery and maybe even dread. And what is before us all, what was before Peter and the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, is something brand new. All they had known to that point was to overcome the world. And Jesus is putting before us something new. To not resist the pain of the world, but to face it. To embrace it even and allow one's very self, your very core, the interior of the interior, to be transformed by it. And so my life is not the same. My relationships are not the same. My history takes on new meaning. My habits can be modified. My fears, my shame, all of it can be held. My anger and it becomes transformed, and it means something different after I'm able to face it. The way is the way. So I want you to think about, or us to think about, I... It's a phrase that's kind of become common uh, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? The World War I song. And the thrust is there are these, you know, soldiers who have spent their lives in rural America and now they, they're in Paris in 1919 and all the trappings and wonder of European city life. They've seen it all. And it's tough once they come back home. 
the people whose economies and family lives and, and all of that depend on these young men just coming back to the farm and working as if nothing had changed. I hope I'm not being too, taking too much of a liberty with this, with this analogy, but the idea is that something has fundamentally changed about these young men. And when they come back to the world, in quotation marks, they're different. And the world has a vested interest in them staying the same. The world will exact a cost when you decide that you will do the work of following Jesus. You will be transformed. And there will be a cost. This is what Jesus is trying to convey. So rather than leave Peter, James, and John and the rest of the disciples in this state of confusion, in this state of mystery, in this state of even dread, Jesus leads them up Mount Tabor and offers what I call a taste of victory. He knew that they, that we, that me and you would need something to keep us moving forward through the confusion, through the mystery, through the way that we had never imagined before that seems difficult, that seems foggy, that seems confusing as we turn toward Jerusalem and face the world not with strength but with vulnerability. He knew we would need a taste of victory to sustain us. So he calls Peter, James, and John to the top of Mount Tabor. And there they see and experience what defies description. I read the passage. There's an attempt to, de to, to describe what happened that falls short. But they see Jesus as they'd not seen him or anything else before. The author says that Peter's essentially out of his mind. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to make of it. Somehow what they see, what they experience, it is somehow linked, connected to what they've known before of the living God. There's a connection with Moses. There's a connection with Elijah, with the law, with the prophets. It's somehow all bound together, somehow part of the same story. And this man that they've left everything to follow is the culmination of that story. And they know something after having been on Mount Tabor with Jesus. They know. And it's enough to sustain them, to keep them taking the next step toward Jerusalem. taste of victory. And so as a fellowship, as a community of faith, we continue our story this, liturg this liturgical year. We begin again our annual turn inward to examine our lives, ourselves, our story. And if we're honest about it, and if we're diligent about it, and if we're vulnerable, vulnerable 
the work can be confusing. It can be mysterious. It can be exhausting. We know that feeling. It's different work than we typically know, so we listen. We become still. We become curious about what our, li what our lives are trying to reveal to us about who we are. who we are to become and how we might how we might become liberated how we might become whole how we might be healed the way is the way and here's our taste of victory consider for a moment our beloved fellowship There's not a person who is a part of Zion. There's not a person that comes to this sanctuary that would not be willing to be there for you, for me. As we share our lives, as we wrestle with our relationships, our history, our habits, our fears, our shame, our anger, We can process it all in the safety of this sanctuary, in the holiness of this fellowship, this place where we can be, where we can simply be. The world may exact a price for our vulnerability. That's true. It's always been so. But here, In this fellowship, in this sanctuary, Zion, the world can exact nothing. We know the truth, just as Peter, James, and John knew in that instance the truth. This is our taste of victory. So we turn our faces toward Jerusalem again this year. We turn our attention inward again this year. And the way is still the way. It's confusing. It's mysterious. It's exhausting. But we travel this way together. Amen. Okay, I want to conclude uh, this morning by uh, asking that we all keep everyone in our fellowship in our prayers. Uh, I don't need to tell all of you uh, that we are certainly in need of one another's prayers, of one another's support. We are exhausted, we are lonely, we are, we are worn. And in our text messages, Lane talked about people that are outside this morning, uh, people that are working in this cold and in this, these bitter temperatures. We hold, I ask you to hold them up in your prayers as well. I'm going to trust that we can all pray 
in our living rooms, in our cars, wherever we are, and hold up this fellowship, hold up Zion. I'm going to conclude our service this Sunday praying the Lord's Prayer. Please join our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.